Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Just a quick reminder, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. This week, Brian Strauss joins me in a rental car at the wedding of our SI.com editor, Avi Creditor. Instead of talking about the news of the week, we have some drinks and talk about our favorite stories from covering the World Cup over the years. I think you'll enjoy this one. Onward. All right. Brian Strauss, you and me are together back in person here at the wedding of Avi Creditor. We warned everyone. And Alyssa, his new wife, our editor, um, in some random part of Maryland. Uh, it, the funny thing to me here, Brian, is this is a Sunday night. And we're going to record this here at the wedding because we're going to be, I'm going to be driving back tomorrow and don't have the time to record tomorrow. Um, we have always tried to approach our podcast as sort of resembling our conversations that we used to have in rental cars on the way to games. And here we are literally in a <laughs> rental car in Frederick, Maryland. And we're actually not going to talk about games so much here, but we are going to talk about the World Cup and our experience of our first World Cups as journalists because the World Cup is coming soon and we're going to have a daily podcast and uh, it's a defining, the defining event of what we do. The lights just went out in the car, Grant. Yes. I want to I wanna first, um, you know, we joked about last week, we joked about doing like a drunk history podcast from Avi's wedding. And he heard this and sent us an email, <laughs> and it was a joke. Like, I was, I, I was joking. It was just one of the many stupid things I say on this podcast. And Avi was like, you guys need to do this. And, and now it's happening. Basically, and, and, it is. And, I mean, with, it, it went from within, within six days, it went from stupid joke to reality with me having had several vodka tonics <laughs> um, and some cupcakes. Now sitting in a dark <laughs> car with you. Outside of our editor's wedding, in the middle of nowhere, talking about the World Cup, which is coming. Like, it's so soon. It's crazy. It is. I have so much work to do. True. But I'm really excited. And I want to know, let's have a little conversation here. Your first World Cup that you covered as a journalist was 2010 in South Africa. That's right. Mine was 1998 in France. You had a head start. Uh, For both of us. These were major events, not just in our careers, but if we're being honest, our lives. Oh, yeah. No question. Look, you, you want to get to one no matter any by hook or by crook. You, you want to get to if you love soccer, you want to get to a World Cup. And I became clear to me that I wasn't going to make it as a player. And and, uh, you know, I tried coaching for a bit and then I kind of fell into this. And then and then, yeah, and then you have your you have this incredible, impossible goal from, you know, for me starting out. You know, typing up box scores and getting Mike Wilbon's mail uh, at the Washington Post and being told when I was hired as a news aide at the Washington Post, the woman who hired me said, you will never write an article for this newspaper. (laughs) Jesus. Just so you know, because she didn't want me to get my hopes up. You know, we hire the best journalists and you're you're a, you know, a college graduate who has no clue and lives lives with his parents. And, you know, you're going to get Wilbon's mail, you know, shut up about it. And I needed a job, and it seemed like a cool place to work, and 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 so I I happily took it, um, and yeah, and then and then from there it took, math math math, twelve years, yeah, twelve years of 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 grinding and having doors slammed in your face and wondering why you chose such a dumb career, um, to and for someone who grew up loving soccer and playing and 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 worshiping it, 
yeah, that I remember that first day in South Africa like it was 10 minutes ago. I mean, it was an incredible, incredible experience and relief and thrill to get to go. And you were not covering it for the Post. You, by then you were with... I was at AOL. Yeah. Yeah. And so you land in South Africa, presumably the first time you landed in South Africa. Yes, um, I was not uh, a regular visitor. <laughs> <laughs> I was not. Had you been to France before you went to... France 98? I had only because my girlfriend, now wife, uh, was half French and we visited family there, but was still clueless. Right. Um, you have no idea what you're getting into logistically and professionally. And right. Yeah. Like, a, I will tell a very quick story please, about something that that's happened why we're doing in this France in 1998, my first World Cup. So I'm there as one of three Sports Illustrated writers. Uh, I am 24. Uh, it's, it's still one of my first trips ever outside the United States. And I'm out for dinner one night with Ian Thompson, one of the more senior Sports Illustrated writers, great writer, who's covering the U.S. team, which flamed out horribly in that tournament. Not not a good showing. Uh, the other U.S. or Sports Illustrated writer at that World Cup was Steve Russian, who is the only genius I've worked with at Sports Illustrated. And I use that term very sparingly. Um, you mean like officially? Like I think he's infi- officially a genius. Like did he have a pin? Uh, no, but he... Like you get if a I city letter, like a pin, you, then I would have given him one. If he you had a genius. genius pin, you would have given it to Steve Russian. But anyway, I'm out with Ian Thompson one night for dinner, and he takes me... He had lived in Paris, I think, uh, when he was at the International Herald Tribune, knew the city very well, takes me to this oyster, raw oyster specialty place oh, in Paris. And we're sitting there, and he's like, do you like, do you like oysters? And I, I'm from Kansas originally. Had very rarely left the United Oyster States. Oyster capital of the world. And I had never had oysters before. So, of course, I say to him, oh, I love oysters. And the, <laughs> the oyster tray comes. And I get the oyster. And then Ian looks at me. And he's like, you just put your oyster in the finger bowl. <laughs> and I'm like. You savage. And I'm like. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. how we do it in Kansas. Yeah, exactly. Jerk. Exactly. So, quite clearly, on my first trip, one of my first trips abroad, um, one of my not so great moments at that World Cup. Um, in terms of South Africa, did you have did you have any moments like that? My first trip to Europe was in in '98, and I arranged it so I got to France at the start of the World Cup. And in my three or four days in France leading up to the U.S.-Germany game in Paris, I was thrown out of Versailles. Um, I was <laughs> confronted and forced to pay off uh, Paris Metro cops to the tune of like 20, 25 bucks because they said they were going to arrest me because I didn't have my proper fare card or whatever. Yeah. And then the night of the Paris, the night of the, again, the vodka, I'm sorry, the night of the U.S.-Germany game, I was beaten by a riot cop outside the Parc de Prince. I'm sorry, at the Hotel de Ville, at the Hotel de Ville, where they were showing the game. They had riot cops come into the square, and they just beat the shit out of everybody. So that was my, that that was my, that was my few days in France, uh, and then I went home, um, but uh, but yeah, we're, I want to talk about your your lead to your to your final story, which I remember vividly, and it was wonderful. But South Africa, um, nothing really went wrong in South Africa. I mean, there was there was some occasional mayhem. Um, like one night, uh, thieves thieves would steal wires. 
Mm-hmm. And so one night, like all the internet in our hotel went out, and I went down and asked the manager what was going on, and we'd become friends because I was there for so long, and she was really cool. And she said, she's like, don't tell anyone, which I guess now I'm doing. Um, but she said that thieves dug up the internet. Huh. <laughs> they like climbed over the fence and dug the internet wires out of the ground and ran off with it. So we literally had no no internet in the hotel. Um, oh, is there a good story I'm leaving on the table? No, I mean, it was, look, it, it was... We were with the U.S., you know, we were going up to the farm in Irene and... Um, Just outside Pretoria. Yep. And uh, and I wasn't staying with the all the other uh, uh, reporters because AOL, which was deciding to get into content at that point and then hired me to cover soccer, had no idea kind of what it was doing. And um, so I was staying at like their version of a, of a Red Roof Inn, you know, like in West Johannesburg and I would take a taxi every day to your hotel and then take the shuttle up with you guys to the um to the farm and uh yeah and it was an it was an amazing experience we did the round tables and we talked to bob and we we covered training and we ate beef jerky at that little, little commissary biltong um we ate biltong at that little commissary um and uh i was and i was happy with the work i did and and um went to like an absurd stupid number of games like 14 15 games uh-huh. um your first game that you went to was U.S. England was U.S.A. England yeah. in, in Rustenburg, which reminds me of Manhattan, Kansas, right. the Little Apple. Stephen Goff said it was like having the World Cup in Wyoming. Yeah. I always remember that line. Um, it's like three hours outside of. It was a drive. We yeah. actually never had to get on a plane uh, inside South Africa. I never did, at least. Which was oh, great. I did. I went to. I I did to go to Durban and Cape Town. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But so we go to Rustenburg for U.S.A. England, and the thing that always hit me when I first started covering the World Cup, and hits me every time a new World Cup starts, is you feel like you're at the center of the universe because everyone's eyeballs in the world, essentially, are on the same freaking thing. It's not like the Olympics where, yes, everyone's watching, but there's a million different events at the same time, and there's nothing really focusing the eyeballs. But like, there's really only one game at a time at the World Cup. Everyone's watching the same thing. You're talking about it. It's one giant global water cooler. Did that in any way hit you at all when you were covering your first World Cup game live? It hit me more. It hit me more in this actually in Brazil, only because I felt like in 2010 that I was kind of a newbie at this and um, the, the whole AOL sports experiment. They spent a ton of money on that on that website that they had and and hired a lot of good writers plus me um and uh i I guess i didn't feel the same kind of stage fright um at that point maybe that i did when i was when i covering you know a world cup for sports illustrated in 2014 i was i was a little bit more um more anxious about that one um it's funny i felt i felt in 2010 like a a good example is is the, the the octopus Right there was Paul, that, there Paul was a the Paul. there was Paul the octopus, um, who you would have eaten at at a at a restaurant <laughs> with the oysters. Um, like I didn't know about this for days. Like the entire world really? was obsessed with this octopus. Yeah. But between sitting on the, whatever it was called the M one on the way to Irene right. and being in the media centers and and being in the hotel, right? Like, it's like it's like being at a World Cup. You actually miss. A lot of the conversation and a lot of the, the 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 buzz and the culture that's going on around the World Cup because you're kind of really entrenched in this bubble. Huh. Um, that's how I felt. I felt like I knew less about what was going on 
um, in the other games. You know, like like I remember, didn't Italy go out in the like in the I remember group, in the group stage? I remember I remember Italy going out, and I remember having a conversation with someone saying, you know, I never saw Italy play. Right. You know, I didn't see a minute of Italy at this World Cup. I think it was Jerry Longman from the New York Times. He gave me. I got lost, and he gave me a ride. Um, and I remember sitting really in good the, dude. Yeah, and I remember. I think I was sitting in the car with him, saying, "Yeah, Italy's out. That's weird. Like, how do how do how do I not see Italy play in a World Cup? Because you're at a game. You're in transit. You're sitting in the media center. Um, I ate like shit. Oh my god! Like you have to eat, try and eat. Yeah, well, I and, ate, or, or eat at all. I ate Doritos and Coke Zero for five weeks. At the 2002 World Cup in South Korea, because there were so many weird food options for the media at stadiums, I only ate Pringles. I ate canister after canister of Pringles. So gross. I used to love Pringles. <laughs> I could again. not eat Pringles for 10 years after the 2002 <laughs> World Cup. It wrecks you. It wrecks your. It wrecks your entire like your biorhythms and your equilibrium. And um, the the oh the media actually the media center food in Brazil, if I recall, was okay, right? But in 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 South Africa, it was basically like like those hamburgers that you microwave while they're still yeah. in the plastic bag, Not good. and they come out and they're just like this gruel. Yeah. And um and yeah, like it, it was that and Coke Zero and Doritos and 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 it was a complete disaster. But again, it was my first one, so I figured every time I was up all night or or lost or you know I I I got I got I took I got on the wrong bus on the way to the Spain Chile. Uh, round a 16 game and got dropped off on the other side of the stadium. I think it was Pretoria, if I'm not mistaken. And I basically had to run through a security cordon to get to the media center in time to get my ticket. How'd that go? Um, it was, remember that, what's that game you play when you're a kid where you got to like run through the... Red Rover? And, and, and everyone's holding hands. Red and you Rover, gotta, Red Rover, es- send Brian right over. I essentially did exactly that. And it was, I was in a bit better shape back then. And was able to get through, and it's like I heard some people yelling, some security people yelling, wow. and they just decided I wasn't worth the effort. And I got my ticket with like two minutes to spare. I was able to get in the game. So I just, so I did a lot of stupid stuff, and just figured again, I was a, it was my first time, and 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 um, oh, the other thing, on one more thing. So I was there. One of the big name writers that AOL spent all their money on back then was Kevin Blackstone, right, and. Kevin Blackstone was and is a badass. He's a really cool dude. Yeah. And I remember, and so he came to the World Cup with me. AOL requested three World Cup credentials, if I'm not mistaken. It was for me, Kevin Blackstone, and for Jay Mariotti. Oh, wow. And they got two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jay did not go to the World Cup. Um, so Kevin and I were at the World Cup, but not really together. He was doing his own thing. Mm. And I remember... Kevin calling me one morning and hey what'd you get into last night something like he that's how he phrased it you know what, what were you up to last night and I was like well you know I had I had you know three Milky Ways for dinner and then I was up till four in the morning writing my story about Jay Demerit um, and then I slept for two hours and was woken by Vuvuzelas and I have a migraine what did you get into and I swear to God his answer was I was at Patrick Vieira's birthday party <laughs> So that's like kind of like like it's it's almost like what covering a World Cup with you is like. <laughs> it's essentially the same thing. Oh my god! I, I I remember my first World Cup game in 1998 was the opening game in the Stade de France between Brazil, the defending champions, with like an amazing team, yep. and Scotland with Craig Burley. 
<laughs> and is that the last time Scotland was in a World Cup? Yes. Wow. And um, Brazil wins the game, but I'm I'm there, and nobody had explained to me how the whole media thing worked. So. You have this credential. You have a World Cup credential with your name and face on it. I still have mine from 98. Oh, that's cool. Grant Wall, Sports Illustrated. It has a very young-looking 24-year-old me on it. But just because you have this credential doesn't mean you have a seat in the stadium for a game. It doesn't mean you have a seat in the press conference afterward when they bring the coach and maybe a player in. It doesn't mean you have the ability to actually speak to athletes after the game, ask them questions, and get quotes for actually writing a story. This is the case in every World Cup game, and it's very different from the United States and how we tend to approach our media credentialing for sporting events. Basically, if you have a credential to cover an event in the United States, you don't need to get anything else, any other passes or credentials. But... At a uh, World Cup... At the, the Gold Cup, they make you get those stupid okay. meal, meal tickets. Yes, that's a different story. That's a whole different podcast. But at the World Cup, you not only need to have a credential for the World Cup, you need to apply for a seat, a press seat in the stadium at a desk. For each individual game, For each individual separately. game. You also need to apply for a pass, a separate pass, to get you into the press conference afterward, the formal podium press conference. And then there's a different pass called a mixed zone pass so that you can go to this place where the players will walk through... And ignore you. And basically <laughs> ignore you. But at least they have the option to talk to you and answer questions on their way to the bus. So I was unaware of any of this stuff in my first World Cup game in France and sort of figured it out eventually and like I hadn't applied for anything so I like you know got a journalist who was leaving the mix zone to give me his oh, nice. mix zone pass okay. so I could yeah. get in afterward and ask some questions did you get anyone um, I don't even remember if I got anyone because like we didn't have a functioning website at the time so it's not like I was going to write for anything there was a once a week magazine that was the other thing my you know I was there basically for a once a week magazine not for our web uh, website um, and but as the tournament went on I would find out that um, Sports Illustrated wasn't at the high end of the priority list when it came to giving mix zone things so even if you applied for one you wouldn't always get it and so I bribed for the World Cup final I bribed a guy with a bottle of wine who worked was a staffer for the 98 World Cup and he gave me a mix zone pass and I got in there and got all the quotes that I used for my first big story for Sports Illustrated magazine on Deadline, which was the World Cup final. Who who did you who were you able to speak to? He was this nice man. No, no, I'm I'm sorry. Forgive me. In in the mix zone, did do you who did you get? Who stopped who did I get? to talk to you? Yeah. Uh, I, I That's would, amazing. They even that someone stopped and talked to you after the World Cup finals. Incredible. So that French team in '98 uh, didn't have that many guys who spoke English. I spoke Spanish, so I would speak to Trezeguet. I would, in Spanish, because he's part of Argentine, uh, I spoke to Frank LeBouf, who was playing for Chelsea and spoke good English. Thank you, Frankie, for all of the things, uh, for stopping and speaking to me, because you had no idea who I was. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a bald brotherhood thing, maybe? Perhaps. Yeah. I wasn't totally bald or shaved-headed then, okay. but was definitely losing it. Um, but uh, Emmanuel Petit was another guy who stopped. 
um, I was able to get some stuff in that in that mix up. So who was the guy with? How did you how did you know that wine would be the the currency that would? would... Basically, I gave this guy a gift okay. because he had given me a mix zone pass as a favor for the quarterfinal in the Stade de France between France and Italy. And I was like, dude, if you can give me a mix zone pass and I can actually do my job here, here, have this bottle of wine. Awesome. Um, but there were a few things like I remember from that France World Cup in 98. So keep in mind, I'm, I'm kind of young. I don't realize the World Cup lasts twice as long as the Olympics, essentially. More than a month. And it is an endurance test for anybody covering it. So you need to think about eating, you need to think about sleeping, or try to, and you need to try and not get sick. It's so easy to get sick. And of course I got sick my first World Cup. So the, like, the, the second or third night of my first World Cup, I had been sent to Nantes, which was this uh, city uh, on the west coast of France at the end of the Loire River, where Ali Badoya used to play. And the game was Nigeria-Spain. Ended up being one of the great games I've ever seen. 3-2 Nigeria, great comeback against uh, Raul Spain. Upset. But the night before that game, the Scottish fans show up at the bar I'm at in Nantes watching the first France game of the tournament, France against South Africa. And I, I strike up a conversation with like these eight Scottish dudes in kilts. And they're really friendly, as Scottish people are. And they all decide to buy me a beer. And so, oh, yeah, yeah. After eight beers. I was going to say just one? Well, each one of them (laughs) bought me a beer. There were eight of them. (laughs) So after eight beers, remember, there's a big time difference between France and New York. And my editor calls me on my cell phone at like, you know, 5 p.m. New York time, 11 p.m. France time. And this is the guy, Hank Hirsch, bless his soul, who has sent me to the World Cup. And the first interaction he has with me is of me being horribly drunk with a bunch of Scottish soccer fans. Phenomenal. And I I swear that he's thinking, what am I what did I do? That never I never did anything like I guess my first World Cup was like you know, I was writing every single day. So yeah, I, I would I never let myself get into any any business like that. That's fantastic. I got sick, by the way, that first World Cup. I get sick at just about every World Cup still, even though I actually don't go out and drink eight beers every night. That's why you have so many. You have you have all the hand sanitizer, man. I do. I carry it everywhere I go. So your so I was going to mention that your your lead. I I you know I've talked a little bit about has sort of my past before, but I I never wanted. One difference between us is that you grew up wanting to do this, and I did not. And and not that I didn't want to; it just never occurred to me. Um, and, and so I didn't grow up, um, you know, thinking about journalism or writing or, or reading writers and or having any of that stuff sort of sort of um, be something that I c- kept mental note of or kept track of or aspired to. It, it just never occurred to me. Um, but I remember your lead uh, to that magazine story and and not word for word not exactly but of course I, I you know we watched the, the the final I think I watched it with my father actually uh, in my parents house um, I think it was still my house at the time my parents moved after I got out of school but I think I lived with them for a bit and I think I was still, yeah I was still there 
in, in, in 98. Of course I was. And I think I watched the final with my dad and watched that incredible game by Zidane and was just mesmerized by him throughout the tournament like everyone else was. Um, and your lead was something to the akin to it was about Saint Denis and how there was the cathedral there and 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 it was the it was the it was like Westminster Abbey right it was where France buried its kings and your lead was something like you know uh, you know down the street from where France buried its kings a new one rose you know uh, something something but I just remember that twist and thinking wow that dude's really really good um, never imagined of course back then that 20 years later I'd be buzzing in a car <laughs> recording this podcast but man that was that if that you know what if if you haven't written anything better than that since that's still pretty good that was a really good lead that was the night i became the soccer writer at sports illustrated because the other you hit two, it. the other you two, nailed it. the other two guys from si who were there had left to go home so the u.s had sucked at that world cup and so ian thompson went home he was covering the u.s steve russian had spent a week driving like three thousand miles around france for a story and that's what genius, like, that's what geniuses do it's like i'm tired i'm going home and so they were left with 24 year old me for the final week and i i was always told that like they wanted to send someone with more experience because they didn't totally trust me because i probably had eight beers one night uh early on in the world cup you got your screw up out of the way early yes. that was important <laughs> And so, for whatever reason, they decided to let me write the final story on deadline, like 2,500-word magazine story. And Wait, what, what was the deadline? Like, did, so, you to, did you have to turn that around overnight? Yeah. Oh, God. And so, oh, wow. There's a fun story about that. So, um, I would just assumed Brazil would win the game, the final, against France, because that was an amazing Brazil team. Everyone thought they were going to win. Um Ronaldo ends up having some crazy seizure during the day ahead of the game. There's all this doubt of whether he's going to start or not. The lineup comes out and he's not, and then he's in, then he starts, and he's terrible. And France wins 3-0 at home. And as an inexperienced idiot, I did not bring my laptop to the stadium. I didn't have to write a website story. I just had to write a magazine story, and I figured I can get back to the apartment very easily afterward and write my story. I didn't think that France was going to win the game and there would be three million French <laughs> people filling the streets of Paris, blocking any traffic that would have allowed me to get back to my laptop. So I'm on this shuttle bus after the final, after getting my interviews done, and it's going nowhere because there's so many people in the streets. And I get out and I walk five miles across Paris. Wow. Between like, I don't know, 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. And I write the story as I'm walking across Paris, stopping every so and so, every, you know, so often to write some things. As things down. occur to you. And yeah. And I get there, I get back to the apartment at 5 a.m. Um, and write the 2500 word story. At least you had some cushion, right? Cuz it's cuz it's midnight at home. It, right. So, so the deadline was always 9 a.m. Eastern New York time. So at least I could file at 3 p.m. Paris time. You stay up all night? Oh yeah, I still had to write the damn story. Yeah, so I didn't maybe it maybe you and, take a half hour. But spoon you know, out. I had the, yeah. I, I had these notes that I had written as I was walking across the city and seeing all these people celebrating and it was like when did the when did the the line about burying their kings in a new one no, rise? That where was did that occur? Of, I think well, I, I, do you remember where you right near the Champs Elysees? There's like that's when that that many people twist occurred in to you? the streets. That was just really good in Saint Denis, the Paris suburb where the French once buried their kings. A new one arose last week. That's really good. Um, and 
like it worked out like despite my inexperience and not having brought my laptop and so from that point on like that was i was you know the soccer guy at sports illustrated but i i do wonder if i had like completely screwed the whole thing up if that would have ever been the well case. you can you can say a prayer and thank the soccer gods that Scotland was eliminated in the group stage. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd have been sauced for the entire time. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. You know, I. I remember. I. I don't. I don't remember my lead. I to my story on Spain beating Holland in the final. I mean, obviously, you know, I. I. I saw Iniesta's goal. I can picture it in my head. Um, there's that relief that happens when, when um, you know, you realize you're not going to see a World Cup decided by penalties. I had gone to the 94 final as a fan. Right. Um, and so was sort of joking, you know, counting up the minutes of, you know, most people have never been to a World Cup final. I've now sat through, you know, 90 minutes twice and almost, you know, two overtimes and not to see a goal and sort of wondering sort of what, what kind of cosmic joke that was. And so to see, I didn't have a rooting interest, obviously, but to see an ES to score and realize that I would see a goal in a World Cup and a, and a beautiful goal and a winning goal and I would get to tell that story to the six people that read AOL um, was was really exciting. I have absolutely no recollection about what I wrote, um, but uh, but yeah, other things that that stand out from that World Cup. Um, the day I got there, actually, there was a, a parade for the South African national team uh, through uh, Santon, mm-hmm. um, not far from from where the the U.S. hotel was, where the media hotel was. And I remember finding a really cool spot, um, like on top of a parking garage, that I could mm-hmm. look down on the parade. And I was jet lagged as hell, um, but it was a really neat welcome to the country and to the continent and to my first World Cup, and and that was really cool. Um, I think my other best memory from that World Cup is uh, being in Durban um, and walk. And the, the the stadium in Durban was was just a stunning piece of architecture and was right on the beach. And you could walk along the beach on Dur- in Durban, and it's a really interesting city. And there's a lot of Indian influence there, right. and Muslim influence, and 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 there's people, people, you know, and and obviously the 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 all the other cultural mixes of South Africa, the you know the black and the the, the European, the Boers mm-hmm. and the Dutch, and, and there's every the whole stew is kind of there in Durban, and to walk along the beach and see see boys playing soccer, see women in burkas, see guys Indian guys playing cricket. Um, and then to just keep walking right to the stadium. And that night that I was, I was there for the semifinal between Germany and Spain, which for me was perhaps I had never seen soccer live at that level. I mean, those two teams were so good. Um, and that match for me was the game of the tournament and it was just engaging and engrossing and riveting and, um, and, and to sort of cover it in that setting. Again, I have no, no recollection of what I wrote. It may have sucked, probably did. Um, and then I guess, the, and then, yeah, then I guess the last thing was 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 Donovan's goal, and to be there for something mm-hmm. like that and get to tell that story. And and I guess my one regret from that night was not saving the column that we were, had all written, which was the U.S. is out of the World Cup, right? I mean, right. you're sitting there in the stadium, and you're two thirds of your way through a through my three thoughts. We're, we're going home, you know. <laughs> Um, and, and then that goal goes in and you're just like, oh my God. And there's the, there's the rush and there's the euphoria and, 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 and the, and the insanity of it. And then there's the very, very almost instantaneous realization like, oh shit, I have to, I have to write this and I've got about 10 minutes, um, to, to, to describe what's just gone on here. And of course I just deleted it. I just deleted that column and wrote over it. Um, and I, I wish I could go back to contrast the two, but but um, yeah, that was electric, and 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 nothing. And that that World Cup for me 
was a, was a lot easier and less stressful, even though it was my first than Brazil. Because again, like I said, covering it for Sports Illustrated, there's so much more weight to that. Um, and also just the travel in Brazil, the flying, the overnights, the, the all-nighters. Um, it, you know, I got sick too. Uh, that was that was a grind. Um, so I, I have great memories from, from the first World Cup and sort of knew, I felt since then that I've been playing with house money for my career. I mean, it was just such an incredible, incredible experience. I mean, I guess the thing I would say is that it's such a special event, even without the U.S. in it, to be honest, that I I really do encourage everyone to try and go to a World Cup at some point in your lives just to experience it and feel what that's like. Maybe it will come to us. It may. It may not, actually, based on the way things might be going for 26. But um, I, I still think it's this... Like, there, there's plenty of things to be critical of with FIFA. Believe me, we could talk for a very long time about those things. But this idea, this World Cup, is it's a pretty great thing. And, you know, I, I remember something from each of the World Cups that I've been to, men's and women's, that has really stuck out with me. Um you know, multiple things. It's we, like a part of it's like a something like a, once every four years in your life that you sort of like a, yeah, define your life by. We need to figure out I keep thinking about your wine bottle story and like we we're we're gonna need to bribe some people. <laughs> I kind of hope we're not. not getting anything done unless we bribe I hope not. Like we go like what do they want? We gotta figure it out. Like I remember when I was a really little kid and my grandmother, who was extremely brave and did crazy things went to, it was the Soviet Union back there, like Americans did not go, and this was like early to mid-80s, and she went to the Soviet Union, and like all the stories about like bring blue jeans and chewing gum, like all that stuff was true, like she got whatever she wanted by handing out like little trinkets like that, we gotta figure that out, we gotta figure out like there's certainly some international interactions we're not going to get very, we're not going to get the mix zone pass that are very instructive from a life sense so in 98 in my first world cup steve russian from sports illustrated Jeez. this is this is at the first us game against germany 2 nothing germany park de prince in paris that was the night i was beaten by the riot cop uh jurgen klinsmann scores to beat the us who's that and um before the game steve russian apparently didn't get his um his mix zone pass early enough or something. Right. They and give this, it they, you have to get there and, like two and a half hours earlier. They give it to like some so guy standing outside. At halftime, this hyper officious French guy who runs the media operation for the World Cup comes to Steve Russian, who's like Steve's like a six foot five, you know, big dude. And the this French dude media dude is like has a cigarette in his fingers and he start, he's standing above Steve and starts like flicking ash from his cigarette on Steve's head and says like Steve's angry that he's not giving him a mix up pass and the French guy says you Americans you're so arrogant and starts flicking ash <laughs> on his head and <laughs> Steve just just loses his mind <laughs> about this as he should have by the way and stands up and it was one of those scenes where you're just like, oh, my God, I hope an international incident is not about to break out right now. And people kind of broke him up. 
And Steve eventually got his mix zone pass. That's awesome. But stuff like that happens. And so, like, you know, two weeks into the tournament, you're going to have the Bulgarian journalist guy is going to get into physical blow-by-blow confrontation with the Estonian photographer in you know on their way to the mix zone or something yeah. and and so you do need to have some sense of you do learn some things about sort of international diplomacy i had to run through a security cordon you americans are so arrogant we really are <laughs> i mean there were so many amazing french stereotypes in what you just like of like was he wearing like mime face paint was he carrying a baguette <laughs> Like that was full of them. That was amazing. We're gonna no. There, there will be mistakes made, and 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 look. I mean, look at the stuff that we didn't even talk about in Brazil, like the flood. You know, yeah. and um, Alex Abno's getting robbed at gunpoint. Yeah, um, you know, okay, it, it was. Uh, it, it's an adventure, and 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 you know, and we and we talk about this. Do people want to hear about that stuff or not? Let us know in the comments. Um, well, we're going to be doing a daily podcast in Russia. We're going to be in Russia. I hope people listen to it besides our family members. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about the tournament, but we're also going to talk a little bit about what the day-to-day is like in Russia. And I think will, that's okay, right? Yeah, we're going to, well, you will hear about the quality of the toilet paper. We're going to talk about it. And the color of the water coming out of the tap. The one thing that and a the friend Wolver- uh, and the Wolverine in the hallway of the hotel that a friend of mine who works for Reuters and lived in Russia for several years said to me, "Don't be the guy that posts the pictures of the two toilets side by side in the hotel bathroom. Don't be that guy, Brian. Let us know if you want to see pictures <laughs> of two toilets side by side. Tell us in the comments. But I'm looking forward to Russia. I'm looking forward to experiencing that with you my man and uh, I've actually really enjoyed this podcast in a rental car good to be <laughs> good to be here with you my man and uh, let's come back again and do this next week bye thanks for listening to the planet football podcast I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast please if you like the pod tell your friends subscribe like and review it on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast it helps people find us and check out the 30 minute planet football video show hosted by me and luis miguel echegaray on sitv that's available on amazon and fubo tv recent guests include becky sauerbrunn jesse marsh charlie stilitano and miguel Almiron. see you next time Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.